<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to The Great America Show and delighted to have you with us. What a week we've had, our puppet president deciding to tell teachers that our students are their children when they're in their classrooms. That didn't go over well with parents, to say the least. Someone leaked a draft opinion from the Supreme Court striking down Roe v. Wade, apparently trying to put public pressure on at least one of the five justices to change their vote. Or maybe, just maybe, Someone ordered that draft ruling to be released to Politico, with the same objective, of course, but who knows? Liberals and leftists of all kinds immediately went into Marxist mob mode, demonstrating, protesting, yelling, screaming, having a late-night fit on the streets of Washington, D.C., and Tifa had its fit in Los Angeles. No surprise, no arrests. And so it goes in Joe Biden's America. Sobering news now. The China virus pandemic has now claimed more than a million American lives, but there is some good news as well. COVID deaths continue to decline despite a slight uptick in cases. Bad news, Dr. Science doesn't seem to care. Dr. Fauci hyping an upswing in the pandemic and moderating our relief as the pandemic does seem to be ebbing at the very least. And now we're joined by a doctor I've learned to trust throughout the pandemic. Our guest is Dr. Robert Malone. He's a physician, biochemist, and one of the inventors of mRNA. And a man who has bravely asserted his views, even when they ran counter to the medical and big pharma orthodoxy, also counter, of course, to big government and big bad corporate news media. Great to have you back with us, Dr. Malone. Let's start with the pandemic. Is it still a pandemic? Well, uh, Tony Fauci seems to be confused on that point, um, <laughs> but I'm not, and neither are my colleagues, uh, the other docs. Uh, clearly, we have passed the pandemic phase. Uh, whether Tony um, wants to admit it today and deny it tomorrow, it, it is what it is. And just as I had predicted not to pat myself on the back too much, before Christmas, when I went on Laura Ingram's show and really stuck my neck out like a chicken, um, uh, when I said that I thought that Omicron was going to act like basically an infectious mucosal vaccine, and it was so infectious but relatively non-pathogenic that we were all going to get infected and that it would infect people that had been previously vaccinated and that it would, um, in those who were not vaccinated, generate a broad, robust immune response. And that is exactly what's happened. Uh, the government still seems to be in denial of that. And as we may discuss later, various uh, people in state government seem to have not got the memo yet. Um, we have Deborah Burks uh, coming out of hiding now with her scarf uh, saying that we still need to vaccinate the world. 
And we have the uh, White House having appropriated the name of our group, Global COVID Summit, is about to have their own Global COVID Summit 2.0, in which they're advocating for um, enabling universal vaccination in emerging economies, including providing the necessary uh, financial loans and supports to enable these emerging economies that don't actually have a problem uh, to buy uh, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, presumably. The economics of this are starting to be stark and highly questionable uh, because whether it's Moderna, whether it's Pfizer, uh, BioNTech, it's deeply troubling that we have been told almost one of the few things that conventional medical counsel got right was that children are not affected uh, by this disease at the level of adults and particularly the aged adults. Has that changed for some reason? Because I I see an emergency use authorization requested by Moderna uh, here. Remember, Lou, uh, there's there's a we. Okay, so let me just say it this way. Um, Throughout this outbreak, there have been perverse financial incentives which have driven all kinds of things that are uh, counterproductive and counterintuitive. And this includes all the perverse incentives for hospitals to want to hospitalize anybody that uh, was PCR positive. Um, then we go down the rabbit hole of, of the high cycle number so that anybody can be, it makes it really easy to be declared PCR positive. Then anybody that dies, um, uh, that can be um, claimed to have uh, been PCR positive, then get scored as a death due to the virus. And then the hospital gets a financial bonus. It goes on and on and on. These are things I said on Rogan that people were shocked about, but now they validated. Um, And among those perverse incentives is the perverse incentive that vaccine manufacturers have to get their products authorized for use in the youngest pediatric age cohorts, which when that occurs, it triggers uh, additional indemnification. And then also once it's on the pediatric schedule, then um, it falls under the Vaccines for Children program, which is basically an automatic purchase on the part of you and me via our government uh, and distribution throughout the United States, often in the form of mandated school vaccines. So the, uh, the manufacturers have a very strong perverse incentive that's written into law, um, particularly around the Vaccines for Children program that's administered by the CDC and the ACIP to try to get their products down to those youngest cohorts. And I think this is part if we can loop back to uh, um, the right comments about Mr. Fauci, uh, I think that the reason why he flip-flopped was because if the pandemic's over, then, it, or let me put it this way, an if-then statement. If the pandemic is over, then the emergency declaration is no longer valid. If the emergency declaration is no longer valid, 
then all of these extra constitutional uh, powers that the government has assumed, as well as all of the emergency use authorization uh, goes away because it's all predicated on the declaration. And uh, of, of note relating to that, I think her name is Marianne Lyons. She's a great reporter. She often reports for trial site news, but she wrote a great investigative piece for the uh, um, Blackstone Institute that uh, shows, I'm sorry, Brownstone, Brownstone, um, that shows that there has been no commonarty available in the United States full stop all the way through this. We're still operating only on the emergency use authorized product. And that appears to all be grounded in this same issue of indemnification and the financial consequences if you, uh, these guys um, lose the special protections. Excuse me, doctor. I, you said there are no what? What was the word you used? Cominardi. So that's the trade name for the licensed Pfizer BioNTech product. And you'll recall when the FDA did that little sneaky shell game with their licensing uh, for the Pfizer BioNTech product, I went on Bannon and uh, spoke at length about my analysis of that, was fact-checked by Glenn Kessler at the Washington Post, but everything <laughs> I've said has come to pass. Um, and uh, like as seems to often be the case. And um, uh, as I had suggested, what the, what the pharmaceutical manufacturers have done here is they have refused to distribute in the United States, the licensed product. So for instance, all of our Department of Defense personnel have been forced to take the emergency use authorized product because Pfizer won't sell the licensed product because if they do, it triggers a bunch of clauses that they have to uh, fulfill. And so uh, Mary Ann very nicely went through and documented that this is still the case. There has been no commonarty still available anywhere in the United States. Hmm. I, I I want to get to a, a couple of points within all that you're that you're saying. Uh, one, there's no need for kids under six to be getting the vaccine. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Matter of fact, it is counterproductive. Not only are they not. Um, uh, getting severe disease, except for those children that have already pre-existing severe disease. Um, but the uh, they have much lower titers. They shrug it off um, easily. And they have a significant adverse event profile, which we're still learning about, um, which of course includes the heart damage, but many other things too. Uh, primarily for, for males, correct? Um, it's it, the, the differential is more like, uh, I don't know, 30 or 40% to 60%, uh, female to male. It's absolutely got a male bias, but that doesn't mean that girls can't get it. I understand. I, and I don't understand why there is with you making this statement straightforwardly, children don't need to be vaccinated and that it can in point of fact, do more harm than good. Uh, why is not the entire medical profession saying, what are you doing here, FDA? What are you doing, Pfizer? 
why is there why is there not a greater outcry than what we're hearing right now? That is a great question, Lou. Um, and what what we hear again and again and again from docs is, um, uh, you know, we get it all the time. I just had more examples over the weekend. Physicians come up to me and they say, um, I'm so glad you're speaking out. Um, I completely agree with you, but I can't say anything or I'd lose my job or my license. They are scared of their livelihood. They are very aggressively attacked on multiple fronts if they say anything. So what are we to do here? Uh, we, we have so many questions now. We found out that there have been terrible misjudgments, uh, and I'm going to be generous here and call them misjudgments, on the part of the, the federal public health uh, agencies in particular. And when we get to the states, then there is a whole nother area yep. of, of inquiry that should be held about what in the world were they doing during the height, the, the peak. Because as you know, pandemic. it goes all the way down to school boards. Yes. And and then you, uh, and, and the domestic terrorists, otherwise known as parents who are concerned about their children and precisely. And, 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 uh, yeah. And, and are voicing the unvoiceable uh, that being um, not uh, buying into the approved narrative endorsed by the teachers union. These teachers unions keep coming up on a, almost every area, whether it's left-wing indoctrination and critical race theory, uh, ESG, uh, the, the Marxist left democratic party as it finds expression in the Federation of uh, Federated Teachers Association and the NEA is overwhelming here. Uh, it is overwhelming judgment and common sense. And by the way, tradition and what is law in our society, uh, a, a federalist system of government uh, that gives local government great authority uh, and the co local community great authority over their school districts. It is, we are witnessing, uh, for want of a better expression, an absolute takeover by the, the radical Marxist left in this country in the guise of Democrats uh, and their agenda. This is not a democratic agenda. This is a Marxist agenda, as far as I can tell. Your thoughts? Um, I'm a little wary. I, I'm not criticizing you. Uh, I well, my, go ahead. I mean, I, I, my sense is it because you know more about politics than I do. I'm just a a student, um, but I'm I'm wary of labeling these people only using the term Marxist. Because my sense is there may be other drivers here in terms of the behavior uh, and uh, that um, and I'm and I'm not sure uh, that that um, we're not dealing with something that has more complicated roots, not the least of which is arrogance uh, right. that that these are people that, uh, may truly believe uh, that that they need to pursue these agendas. I'm. I put out a piece that you may or may not have seen, Lou, the other day. I don't think we discussed it in our prior uh, discussion. The 
the logic that we are in part experiencing the consequences of generations of helicopter parents that have sheltered their children so much that now those children have grown up. And of course, many of them are teachers. And I, you know, nothing personal. I'm sure that I, I was fortunate to have many brilliant teachers that I learned so much from back in the day. But the truth is that those that go into the teaching profession in our universities are often not the creme de la creme. Uh, and so we, you know, it's been pointed out to me that many of these teachers these days, they're mathematically challenged. They're really not uh, powered in many cases to be able to handle uh, robust discussion and dissent. And uh, we have these bizarre practices that have been enforced in part due to federal law and programs uh, through Department of Education that do strange things like rank schools uh, for um, whether or not they have a large or small differential between the upper and lower echelons in the educational achievement of their students, which apparently I'm told in California has resulted in a situation where many school districts have dropped their gifted and talented programs because of the criticism that they are further accentuating the difference between the uh, uh, lowest performing students and the highest performing students in a in a in a school or a school system. So it it evokes the I don't know if you remember the Vonnegut story uh, uh, that the dystopic future in which everybody has to be equal that it's not uh, equal in terms of opportunity but equal in terms of outcome. That's kind of what, what our culture has been driven towards is the idea that the outcomes are should be equal and that um, all of these uh, highly sheltered uh, young adults have the right to be protected from any ideas, thoughts, or comments which would cause them emotional discomfort. And, I, and I think that's I, I have, part of what's driving. I have, I'm sorry. I think that may be part of what's driving the this bizarre behavior that we're observing in in a lot of the uh, establishment in the education profession. Over. I, I understand. I understand what you're saying and uh, about behavior uh, and interest uh, and direction, but the motivation for that direction to me is clearly ideological. It starts with this administration. Uh, and and uh, by the way, I use Marxists just to get everyone's attention and uh, dismiss this business about socialism because we've moved way beyond socialism in this country. Yes, We've, uh, we, we've moved to a, a, an authoritarianism uh, that has its roots in Marxist, Marxist theory and thought, uh, whether it's the assault on individualism, whether it's the assault on the American family, whether it is the assault on religion. Yes, and and, and it is a belief system that is, as you describe, where we look to public education, where we used to have a meritocracy and a great equalizer for our society. We're now talking about things like equity and critical race theory, and that is subversive 
of meritocracy and high level performance. And the oh, and the, that I love that train of thought. Here's why: if I could, if I could put it in my own words, I sure. think what you're saying is that uh, once upon a time, because uh, the, those who identified as female gender, we'll put it that way. How about? Um, uh, had few employment options, uh, the the society in a, in, on the whole was able to um, obtain the value of the um, uh, most intelligent, highest performing women at a deep discount because they didn't pay their teachers very much, but, but they didn't have anything else that they could get a job in um, professionally, you know, or very little. And so basically the system that existed uh, subsidized our the education of our children on the backs of women who didn't have any other employment opportunity. Is that kind of what you're saying? What we're saying, and I'll say it even uh, more uh, uh, concretely, women were the heart of public education. They were the brightest people in my experience. I'll, I, I can't confirm this with an empirical study, but in my experience growing up from the, from the moment I hit kindergarten to the time I, I left high school, my teachers were the best teachers were all women, the very best. Those who demanded excellence, demanded the most of their students were, uh, and who brought the most energy uh, and uh, inspired students were all women. Uh, and I've often thought what my children missed, my grandchildren are missing now because of that, the absence of those female teachers who were so, so amazing. Uh, and I'm not putting down male teachers for crying out loud. Because they've I've gone just, on instead, instead they're CEOs and uh, heads of hedge funds and everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, right. right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We have unions running schools instead of parents and citizens and local communities and towns and cities running schools. Uh, and is the old expression about war. War is too important to leave to just the generals. We <laughs> have to have we have to have a community that is engaged, participatory, and in my judgment, determinate about what is happening both in setting social and uh, ethical and moral standards, standards of conduct, uh, also in, uh, in making sure that our students are getting their money's worth. And the, the public school, the average cost is over $17,000 per public school student. And we're not getting our money's worth. And we can do, we can do homeschooling. It's one of the reasons 10% of the students now are homeschooled. We no longer trust the teachers unions. We don't trust the schools. We don't trust the administrators. And by the way, why should we? So both our boys are homeschooled. Um, and then when they got to the, to the age sufficient age. Um, we put them into community colleges, uh, which I right. think is a great path forward. Lou, to your point, uh, it's not just the 10%, which is a fascinating number when you think about it. Um, remember uh, the teaching that um, it's only about 10% of the population that wants to be free. The rest want to be told what to do. So this I number hear that. 10 I hear that. Up, um, 
And what I'm finding uh, is, you know, I've been traveling around quite a bit and working with various groups. And what I'm seeing again and again and again is the wealthy are absolutely adamant about homeschooling their kids. And, uh, you know, during the grade school period, and of course, then they go off to uh, the elite colleges, et cetera, because that's what they can afford it. But um, what this what this suggests is that we're going to see further disparities in in separation based on economic status, because the average we're already person, seeing it. We're the already average person it. that doesn't have the cash to or that you know has to work where both parents have to work so one of them can't stay home and tutor the kids uh their children are forced into this uh bizarre landscape of uh socially engineered schools that that are, have objectives you know it's the same thing as as what's going on with stakeholder capitalism if you think about it um mm-hmm. it's it's that um, the belief that excellence is secondary to social uh, engineering interests agendas. Everyone, I, everyone should be egalitarian in America. That is the essence of who we are: equal opportunity, equal rights, but not equal outcomes. It's never been. It will never be, irrespective of the system. Uh, but one thing is clear: you won't have a competitive society, a competitive educational system that produces excellence and innovation and a future uh, that is the birthright of every American, Uh, the Uh opportunity to do better than your parents, to uh, have a better life. We have reached a point where we're creating exactly the inverse result. And when we we talk about, and I want to bring us back to, to medicine, Uh, We have brilliant doctors, but they are now suffocating under an orthodoxy and a a bureaucracy, whether it be governmental or from created by their own profession and the AMA and whatever the other professional associations you want to name, in which we have doctors saying, I can't talk to you honestly here in America because I might lose my job. I might be uh, shunned. Uh, banned from the Klan. Uh, it, it's it's horrific to think that's the world that we are constructing here. Yeah. So uh, I I I mean, let's call it what it is. This world of s- propaganda and censorship, which has become rampant, hmm. it just ratchets up on an almost daily basis. And now we have this ministry of propaganda, essentially of truth, run by the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, I read a quote the other day from a government uh, bureaucrat that uh, paraphrased was, we can't allow them to control the information. We have to completely control the information and the message. This is the self-image that our government has, apparently our government bureaucrats have, is that they have to completely control information message, which is to say they have to control thought. That's their, that has become the belief system. Now, having said that, and considering what you've just said, 
do we really have a difference of view over the the Marxist left that dominates the de Democratic Party? Because what you're describing is a totalitarian system uh, that is Marxist in every respect except name. We're hearing it called progressivism. progressivism. Uh, we're hearing it called liberalism. It's none of those things. Uh, we're hearing it called Democrat. It is Democrat only because uh, they are the superstructure for what is beneath, and that is this monstrous Marxism and collectivism that is dominating uh, at least half of the country. And that's why so, I call it what it is. It's Marxism. Um, so you mentioned that this, so we have all these terms and I'm finding it because I'm not a PhD in political science and I don't have uh, the, your many decades of experience in, in the rock and roll world of politics. Um, <laughs> I'm having to be really careful about my words and I'm not criticizing about the Marxism. I, I, you know, uh, that's no, I was explaining myself. I'm not proselytizing. Yeah, it, kind of, it kind of, it's like the Forrest Gump definition of anything, right? Marxism is as Marxism does. Um, and, uh, but I'm, I'm referring to the totalitarianism term, which is crucial. And yep. uh, which is, which is something that's been near and dear to my heart. And in my many discussions with Dr. Matthias Desmond at the University of Ghent, who, who is the originator of those three words that I used uh, on Rogan that caused Silicon Valley to lose uh, control, uh, which was the mass formation psychosis. And right. so Matthias and I talk about totalitarianism quite a bit. He His comment most recently was totalitarianism always, almost every single time, it's different. It has the same fundamental characteristics, but each time it manifests in somewhat of a different fashion. And in this case, I think that this term um, inverse totalitarianism applies that was in the book called Democracy, Inc. Uh, and um, by, by that, what we mean in that case, and it's a fascist totalitarianism, in the sense that it's public-private partnership-based. We have this alliance and alignment between the wealthiest, you know, biggest companies in the world and uh, the federal bureaucracy. And that's, that's what makes it the um, upside-down inverse totalitarianism is that we have the likes of Tony Fauci, just to take one stocking horse, who is supposed to be a public servant. We're paying him dearly for it, but he is acting as a little emperor, as a Napoleon, uh, and um, dictating to the rest of us what we should do and how we should live our lives in our economic situation, et cetera, et cetera, doing so in an arbitrary and capricious fashion, as the judge aptly said about the mask mandates, and uh, there's no accountability for that. He's still in power. Um, his sins and uh, really crimes against humanity uh, remain um, without any consequences. And uh, he is, he, as we saw, he believes he's above the law. And not only him, but the other major leaders in the health and human services um, 
also are above the law, above the judicial system, should not be held accountable. That is inverse totalitarianism, where you end up with the bureaucrats calling the shots. And it's important to remember that a lot of this bureaucrat cast, Lou, you're old enough. Do you remember the nickname they had for uh, the docs, the, the, the young people that went into uh, NIH and the health and human services system in the 60s? Do you remember what they were called? No. They were called the Yellow Berets because they were all draft dodgers. And those are the folks that currently are the elite um, that run uh, the overall HHS empire. And they did come out of, you, you know, you mentioned these words like Marxism, that that, that um, intellectual tradition, let's say, was rich among those uh, then students who were seeking to avoid uh, service to their country by um, opting out and going into the public health service. You know, I, I think I understand uh, your reasoning, but I, I think Fauci is actually a distant uh, factor now. I think he was at one time much of what you're describing. Uh, as a matter of fact, I know he was because his voice was solo and it was, uh, it was final on, uh, on many of these judgments, or at least so it appeared. But what I'm talking about, when I talk about Marxism, is the, the roots of everything that is happening. I don't think for a moment Fauci ever said a word that he wasn't told to say. Uh, and I think that uh, there was a great uh, congruence of public health policy and, and, uh, and Fauci pronouncements that uh, originated in political advantage for the Biden administration. So uh, I do think I'm completely convinced that uh, the elite in the Democratic Party uh, have been captured by um, forces which are not uh, focused and loyal to the Constitution. Right. And, uh, and what I find again and again and again as I investigate more about the World Economic Forum and what they represent uh, and their history is right. I see uh, this deep involvement uh, in a significant way, um, beginning with uh, William Clinton and uh, absolutely extending through Barack Obama um, to uh, the current administration, which, you know, I hesitate to call it the Biden administration. I don't know who the puppet master is, but uh, he doesn't have the intellectual capacity to manage much right now, I'm convinced. So uh, there, there, there does seem, and then, and then when I see Mr. Obama making these statements that are pro-censorship, that are completely aligned with the messaging coming out of the World Economic Forum, uh, I, I have to conclude that um, it's certainly uh, consistent with the hypothesis that, that this group that has, uh, is currently controlling the Democratic Party and influencing in every dimension to the extent that they can what people are allowed to think and how they're to think right. and what information they're to have access to, it appears to be um, uh, 
representing the interests of uh, this cabal, this trade organization of the thousand largest companies in the world that we call the World Economic Forum. There's, they're, they're two completely aligned. And I was just investigating the series of events that happened around the 08 financial crisis, which has always confused me why the Obama response to that was so pro-bank uh, and so counterintuitive in terms of the middle class of the United States. I mean, it decimated me. Uh, and, you know, when my property went uh, in the tank in Georgia um, and never recovered, and, and it it decimated many of us, but the banks came out uh, smelling like a rose. And, and then as I'm investigating the uh, actions at the WEF around that time, I see Obama very actively engaged with the banking system to support their interests, which is essentially what the WEF represents, um, is these large uh, global transnational uh, banks and, and, and investment funds. So I, 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 I'm in, I'm, I do think that the uh, Democratic Party as it exists now uh, has been completely hijacked and those who, and you hear it again and again and again, um, I do on the road. I hear it from the docs. Uh, you know, I used to be a Democrat. There's no way I'd ever vote for them again after what I've seen. Uh, you know, the, another phrase you hear is the Democrat. I didn't leave the Democrat Party. They left me. Uh, you see the graphic that Elon Musk uh, made a little cartoon about himself where uh, he shows himself on the political spectrum, starting off center left a few years ago, and then gradually uh, migrating to center right to mid right as the center has shifted, uh, consequent to the woke left. Uh, I, I think that there's that, that we do have um, something deeply wrong going on in that political party. It doesn't seem to be uh, reflecting the interests of, uh, it doesn't seem to be committed to the fundamental constitutional principles. They, they seem to have bought into this idea that um, nationalism is obsolete and that uh, we should migrate to a, uh, a, a worldwide government structure that yeah. um, represents largely uh, as the predominant driver, the economic interests of the thousand largest companies and government is subsidiary, should be subsidiary to the interests of these very large corporations, which is the definition of fascism. Yeah, it is the definition of fascism, uh, a form of totalitarianism. And what one can, you know, whatever one wants to use as a label here or a belief structure, a political belief structure, uh, it, it, it doesn't come out well for the American people uh, because the orthodoxies, the, uh, the shifts here in political thought and preference is overwhelming. It's clear. And again, going back to the COVID vaccine. This, your statement 
that children don't need vaccination, but there is a, there is a silence, uh, an acquiescence to it all from your profession and, and an acceptance, by the way, of the FDA and, and government, because they're aligned politically. And this, you know, we suddenly, it seems to me, we have a woke academic profession. We have woke government, woke politics, uh, woke, uh, you know, uh, now woke, uh, woke medical profession. It's deeply disturbing and a, and it bodes ill for the future of the country. Uh, and, and with that, I'm going to ask you to, you know, give us your, your concluding thoughts here. Uh, it's been fascinating talking with you and, uh, we always want our guests to have the last word. So as you, as long as you wish, have at it, Robert. Uh, thanks Lou. You know, I always try to close on uh, silver lining and give mm-hmm. people hope. Um, but on, on this topic, um, I, I want to riff off of what you just said. Um, in, in everything I've seen and been taught in my experience in life has been that if you create barriers to innovation and to uh, free exchange of ideas, you just postpone the inevitable. And the longer you do it, the worse an imbalance gets, any imbalance, an imbalance in industry, in practices, in fuel use, whatever the thing is. If you refuse to confront the problem, I mean, to put it simply, in a, in a way that everybody, you know, this is kind of kitchen table speak. If, if you've got a stack of bills and you refuse to deal with them and they keep coming in, it just makes the matter worse. And uh, anytime you refuse to allow discussion, debate, um, and a healthy exchange of ideas, it results in a, uh, in, in, a, in a bad situation getting worse and worse, to be simple about it, um, straightforward about it. And uh, what this means is that as, as we face the challenge of uh, Chinese aggression and we face the challenge of uh, a globalist worldview emerging, as we face the challenge of uh, coming to grips with the uh, enormous growth in power and, and wealth inequity that has occurred over the last decade and a half, in particular since the um, 2008 uh, events. Uh, if we can't talk about all these things, just like what's happened with this outbreak, if we can't really talk about things, then we end up making mistake after mistake after mistake, and we can't react to it. We can't fix it. And it just creates a situation where things get worse and worse. And that's that, that's why, I mean, come on, guys. This country was founded on free speech. It was founded on the fundamental principle that this dynamic exchange of ideas, this rough and tumble world of differences of opinion, is the best solution for trying to get to a a better society, a better way of of existing in the world, and also to advance innovation and technology. Uh, So that's, I think, uh, my, the 
perhaps over the last few weeks, the thing that has rang my bells the most was Matthias Desmet pointing out to me that only 10% of people really want to be free because it's tough being free. It's tough taking responsibility for your actions. It's tough um, having to think about everything you do and not just do what you're told. And most people apparently want to live in a world in which a big brother and big sister in the form of this new uh, um, government obscenity, uh, this ministry of truth, um, is telling them what to do and what to think. And they're okay with that. Fortunately, there's 10% that aren't. And those of us that want to live free, uh, if <laughs> we're going to have to fight for it because uh, there's a whole group of people that would like to just jam their own version of the world down our throats. And um, I, I, you know, we use terms like stand up or wake up or whatever, but but I think we do have to come to terms with the fact there's only about 10% of us that really want to take the responsibility to be free and, and have a passion for it. And we better fight for that right, or um, it's, it's about to disappear. And with all of the weaponry and tools of information control and big tech that they can deploy against us now. So I'm sorry not to be leaving on a happy note except to say, um, you know, join us, uh, whether or not you're vaxxed or unvaxxed or what your opinions are about this pandemic and how it's been managed. Uh, now is not the time to hide behind um, your short-term economic interests. Uh, now is the time to stand up uh, and, and speak the truth and uh, stand up for what you really believe, if not for yourself and for your children, please. So that's, I guess that's my conclusion is for those of us that are in the 10%, and I suspect it's an enriched group in your broadcasts, uh, no, let's is, get on the stick. <laughs> when do you release your findings, doctor? Um, so I'm writing the Substack. You're talking about the... Uh, basically doxing these uh, over 3,800 uh, trainee acolytes from the World Economic Forum. And uh, it should be in the next couple of days. I'm writing the substack right now that describes how we came up with this massive list. And uh, um, I look forward to talking about it uh, next time we, we have a chat. Well, let's let's make it soon so we can uh, we, we'll, we'll stay current with your your exploits, Doctor. We appreciate it. We look forward to your findings. We're going to put them up on LouDimes.com. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Always my pleasure, Doctor Robert Malone. Thanks everybody for being with us, and please join us here tomorrow. Our guest will be a young man who's running for the U.S. Congress in the great state of Minnesota, in the heavily Democrat fifth congressional district in the heart of deep blue Minneapolis. Our guest is Royce White, former NBA player, civil rights activist, and a rip-roaring populist Republican. I think you'll enjoy what he has to say, and I think he's a fellow you'll be hearing a lot from over the next several years. That's Royce White, here tomorrow on The Great America Show. Please be with us. Until then, God bless you.
and God bless America. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.